1: Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to Take 2 of the live show. We'll see how this goes uh, on the next one if the stream stays stable. It looks like it's okay. Please let us know if you can't hear us or see us. But so far, so good. We had an interesting start to the show. We might just kind of pretend we didn't have that start and go back to what we said before so everybody can hear us and everyone has it smooth. So, Jared, thank you for joining us. We just had the Nuggets and the um, Spurs in San Antonio. So, what were your initial thoughts uh, about the game on the Nuggets side?
0: wow thrilling to be here oh my god so um Whoa. take two here uh I mean what I was talking about before stream diet was just about how I mean we were talking about this off the air Jokic had 30 shots tonight I can't believe it he it's I feel like every time I watch a play he only takes like 11 shots but has what should be really like 30 assists or hockey assists so tonight mm-hmm. him being the aggressor him taking the ball up the floor a lot more Uh, him trying to get to the block and really attack post-mismatches. I mean, we saw him literally just walk or moonwalk through DeMar DeRozan in the third quarter, which I thought was a really fascinating one. Mm -hmm. Um, That was pretty fun. I actually laughed out loud when I saw that. But so, uh, I mean, this was was amazing to get to, like, really see the peak capability of Jokic. Um, But then also just obviously the Spurs were terrific. Uh, Denver's bench was 5 for 24 from the field. So that obviously is going to be an issue because the Spurs, that eight-man rotation was pretty much like perfect in their kind of succinctness tonight even if Patty Mills had a rough shooting night.
1: Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean the Spurs were uh, on the on the flip side just really impressive all around the way they moved the ball, uh, they defended well as well, and they had that little a little run they kind of broke their backs uh, in the fourth quarter around I think around seven minutes, and I tweeted it out. There's a play where um, the ball was like uh, they get they get an offensive rebound like a kick out, and uh, they didn't have hardly any time to shoot it. And Bryn Forbes just launches a I don't know twenty six footer, and just ball goes right in, gives them a twelve fourteen point lead, and that was pretty much it. Um, so it's really impressive when, when, the Spurs are at their best, when you have DeMar DeRozan, not only scoring well in the second half, like he did, but he's facilitating in the first half. And then you got Lamarcus Aldridge doing his all-star dance. Um, you kind of start to wonder, you know, can they get farther than everybody thinks? Can they get to like the Western conference finals? What, what's your take on that?
0: I mean, their matchup is going to be Portland if they win the series. So, hell yeah, of course they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, Port- I feel like Portland is a team that they match up very nicely against, uh, especially because they're such a good game-planning team, and Portland is relatively easier to game-plan for, I guess, considering that they have two great scorers that does most of the you know heavy lifting for them on offense. So don't want to get ahead of ourselves in talking about that considering it's a game seven. But um, I love the way that San Antonio plays high-low. And there's just so much there's just so much stuff that feels like mid 2000s or late 2000s about the way they play, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially when they have two bigs out there. They do such a good job of like there's this one thing that they'll do where they'll do a zipper cut where like the bigs almost like replace each other from the high, low positioning. And then they'll run a pick and roll and the defense will be so focused on the big that it cut down to the dunker spot that they forget about the other big who's at the screen who's kind of doing a delayed roll. And the Spurs have so many guys that are just comfortable and kind of like slowly working their way into the paint. And so they get a lot of easy finishes from that off of that. You know, both of these teams, they get a lot of like kind of like weird, easy mid paint finishes. They're not like they're not neither of these teams are teams that really like attack the rim hard. They kind of attack the rim soft, I guess, would be the way to say it without sounding weird. Or I guess it sounds weird
1: (laughs) anyway. But okay, (laughs) I hear you. Well, uh, and then speaking of the bigs, the Spurs like Jacob pertle needs a, a, a game ball. Yaka. He, he, oh, sorry, Jacob.
0: Clearly, clearly did not watch Game of the Zones today because that was a whole part of the. Oh, was it, it really? Was no, I yeah. guess I
1: should watch it. I don't, but you know, it I'm a little amazing. bit, I'm a little bit busy during the day. Uh, you know, working, it's four minutes the four uh, minutes of best TV you're going to see all week. Listen, in, in, you, when you, I should film me doing these things because it's like down to the wire, desperately trying to get these videos out as soon as possible, knowing that like every minute that goes by is going to be less people being able to watch it. But Jakob Pertl, um hey, listen, this will be happy I said the last name, right? But uh, he had eight points. Nine rebounds, two assists, and he only played 28 minutes. It's not a very pedestrian stat line, but he had the highest plus minus in the team, or actually, sorry, second highest plus minus behind Bellinelli. Um, and uh, he was just making plays, and like the kind of plays that don't show up in the box score, but he had a couple finishes down low that were beautiful on nice passes, but like the, the finish itself, the pass would have been forgotten, <laughs> you know, if he didn't finish. So And he's also doing really well on the defensive end, too. I know that Jokic had a ton of points, but he was doing, executing the game plan really well. Part of the game plan clearly is they're going to give um, Jokic five or six feet on the perimeter and just let him shoot it. And he hit some threes. He hit a couple mid-range. Uh, and those, that's probably the sprinkling on top that really gave him uh, you know, the gaudy numbers here uh, for scoring to get to 43. Otherwise, he would have had like... 30, <laughs> but still, um, okay. just really, really ad- uh, stuck to the to the, um, to the game plan really well. Another guy in that long line of lists of, of big men uh, the Spurs have had in the past, um, like, oh my goodness, who, uh, who's the, um, oh my God, uh, from Argentina, um, Splitter, yeah. right? But better than Splitter. He's got he better hands. Him, He's got better hands, and I think he might finish better than him. So um, anyhow, uh, I want to make sure he gets his due. But even like LaMarcus Aldridge, it's like, he is a, like a consummate pro, all-star, you know what's coming, that over-the-right-shoulder turnaround, uh, high release, and it doesn't matter. It's like it's just kind of it's amazing to me that he can continue to do that over and over again, and, and no one can stop it.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as Pirtle's concerned, uh, I mean, I think a big part of it was just him. He worked out of the dunker spot really well so that when um – um When Jokic would rotate over, he would kind of what I like about what he would do is rather than hiding behind the backboard, he would step up and just go right into the middle of the paint. So that it was really easy for him to just kind of catch it high and just turn and finger roll it in. So Mm -hmm. they're really smart about when they're doing that kind of high-low stuff that they're they're at least like staying active there. And obviously that's what makes San Antonio so great. Is San Antonio they'll have what could look like a stagnant offense or not a well spread offense, but they're really smart about just moving a little bit into those right positions so that they're actually you know so that they're just in the right spot even if it's like a five percent difference. Uh, to, it, it's that, that's a difference that allows them to really execute without having superior length or athleticism. And he had one great play that kind of like helped the Spurs really break it open because they had they went on that huge run in the early fourth quarter when Plumlee was out there uh, for Jokic. Which I mean, I think that begs the question: Is Jokic going to have to play like forty five minutes in Game Seven? Uh, which I don't know <laughs> if his body can take it, but we'll see. But uh, he kind of like h- hustled for like a longer rebound did like a dribble to keep the ball alive through traffic and then threw it to Brent Forbes at the top of the who buried a three, and I think they called the timeout for that, and that really broke it open. So he just made all those little hustle plays, and that was great to see. And then as far as Aldrich, yeah, it's like that. that shot is going to define the game a lot of the time where he's just going to – there's going to be three possessions in a row where they're just going to put him on the block if they think he has the right matchup. And it's really just a matter of can that defender prevent him from getting – down to the block so he can take that fade away from you know, 11 feet out as opposed from like 16 feet out where it's a little bit tougher. And he got his way tonight.
1: For sure. Well, let's go to some questions. We have one good one in the, uh, uh, the comment section of uh, for right now. But once we answer this one, I'm sure everyone's going to uh, ask some questions. So Westbrook's MCL, very good handle, uh, asks, seems like nice. Portland's big rotation is underrated defensively. Can they match up with the Spurs bigs? So, well, that's interesting because, uh, let's see, Portland's big rotation is, um, you know, Cantor. And now I want to say something about Cantor. He actually has been been fine on defense, like, you know, making some plays, not being exposed completely uh, against the Thunder. So that was uh, a real eye-opener for me on that one. Um, you, yeah. you were giving me shit in the last podcast for saying that. You are like, oh, I disagree with you on that.
0: Oh, I'd- well, I think uh, – well, wait, what, are you sure that's what I said? Yeah, you, you, we kind of like went back and forth and you're like, all right, I guess we'll agree to disagree with the condescending coach Nick. I can't believe you're defending Enos Cantor as defense, but and it's, it's not good, but huh. it's way more passable than we thought. And he's still, and we see, we see it with Jokic too, he still kind of stands like knees not flexed. That's what bothers me the most is if you're a big man, your feet should be wider than your shoulders and your knees should be flexed if you're def- if you're defending a pick and roll like if you're just standing there just straight up you're you're just automatically out of the play at that point because you're not going to be able to react react fast enough
1: right fair enough um so so okay so Cantor, uh you know might be okay uh, against Jokic because Jokic certainly isn't going to like blow by him uh, i don't think so that's okay um let me let me wrap my head around who else is um on Portland's with the bigs we got who are they bigs right for Portland right now i'm completely blanking uh oh Harkless um, so Harkless matching up with, um, it's going to be a
0: really tough one for him because if he's at the four, that means he's getting LaMarcus. He obviously is way too thin to guard LaMarcus,
1: right? That's he would match up good.
0: really well against Rudy Gay, but that I assume Alpha Aminu is going to be on him for the most part. So it's really, it's Zach Collins who mm. I think him and Pirtle are kind of similar. He's more of like a quick athletic guy. Pirtle's a little bit more powerful. Um,
1: Yeah. I, I will predict, yeah. though, looking at the way this is lining up, uh, that Aldridge should have a, um, a, um, a a career series. And we've seen him go off on other series before. But he might he might light it up against Portland. I just don't know if anyone has – they have anybody down there that can really handle him uh, at all size-wise. Because you can't – Aminu is too short. Harkless is probably too short, too. Canner is not going to be able to do much against him, I don't think. So, you know what I mean? You know, Myers Leonard, like they're going to, they're going to, Portland's going to have to struggle. Either they let him get eat and get a lot of points and shut everybody else down, or, uh, you know, Portland's going to end up, uh, you know, hurting them big time.
0: And Portland's been trying to avoid playing Myers Leonard and has been mostly playing Collins. Although, uh, on the other hand, the matchup against Oklahoma, it's like their only bigs are Adams and Noel. They go with small ball fours most of the time. So, I guess against San Antonio, they would – Portland would want to go deeper into their bag with their bigs. And then Jake Lehman, not big enough, but just another guy that I think defensively is usually really good as a stretch for. Uh, but he he is in a good matchup for this series.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to see. And especially with rotations getting probably even tighter, I, I would imagine. Um, well, but yeah. what what about Denver, though? Obviously,
0: yeah. it's like we're going to game seven. So how how does it change with Millsap? It's, I mean – can can Har- I feel like Harkless could get away with covering Millsap. Millsap sure. is a lot more powerful, but he at least is a face up guy from the elbow as opposed to Aldridge. So right. should, no, should work better for him.
1: That could be an interesting thing. And by the way, Harkless has really, you know, proven a little bit to me uh that he deserves uh, to play and deserve to be out there. I'm not so sure I was sold on his game um, you know, for a playoff team uh until what I saw in OKC. So he, yeah, I, I would say he could handle that okay. Um, and Alfred Camino defensively certainly can handle guys who are a little bit bigger than him too so um that that would be interesting on it from a Denver standpoint um with uh yeah with with Millsap and then they kind of go small after that um in a way that that seems like that that's that's much more doable i mean so i suppose the answer is if the spurs had any i mean sorry if the blazers had any choice of who they want to play I, I think that they want to play denver right i don't know i mean we're, we're concerned about
0: the big matchup, but, like, as good as Aldrich is, I think Jokic is is that much better. So I feel like I would rather have San Antonio because even if I might struggle with the matchup against them, I still feel like like my guards can just outscore them, too. So it should be a pretty good tip for tat. Not to mention, Portland doesn't know LaMarcus very well. And LaMarcus hasn't changed that much since he was in Portland. I feel like his San Antonio has adjusted to allow him to play his game for the most part. Um, yeah.
1: And and that game is, you know, it's still and it's a throwback, you know, the turnaround, you know, with right shoulder jump, jump shots and the fadeaways. Uh, you know, a little shot, fake dribble. Now, he does go to the three-point line a little bit, but um, it really is uh, – this is one of those crow magnon man things where we're seeing, like, right a bridge between two eras, uh, and there's not too many guys left. Although, you know, I would argue that, like, even Montrez Harrell is now sort of one of those kind of guys in a different way, but, like, uh, bridging some weird gap that I thought was going to die uh, with Kenneth Fareed. I thought that he was going to be the last guy like that. And yet, uh, here we go um, – and I feel like there's somebody else who's a lot like uh H- Harold. And I'm I'm blanking. Oh, I mean, you know what, you know who it could be is is um Zion. Oh. But like but like to the another a whole other level, but in the same kind of high energy, you know, athletic but around the rim, that doesn't really space much. But uh he can take that that role to a whole other level in the modern NBA. That would be really exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean he could he's basically like Trez a Trez was a great playmaker and a and a better ball handler probably too. So Mm-hmm. And maybe at a better finisher. I mean, I, I tweeted about this uh, last night. Like, I've never seen a guy who is like as sure a thing to dunk on a pick and roll as Montrez Harrell is. Where, like, if he gets the ball and just has like two feet while face in the paint while facing the hoop, he just goes up with two arms straight up and he dunks every time. No matter because he he looks really short. Like he looks like he's six foot six, even though I think he's. Listed at six, eight, but it looks like it should be way harder from the dunk than it is. But he just does it every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like two, it's like a two arm power slam straight through the middle. No matter who's in front of him, he just like ends up barreling through them. And there's like there's nothing really like it in the league right now. It's so it's so much fun to watch.
1: Yeah. And, and he's really just tough and no nonsense. Nothing really bothers him. Oh, yeah. He's not going to get in. He's not going to mix it up. And, you know, I don't know if he talks that much trash doesn't look like he does. So it was funny because I was trying to get an interview with him on Sunday and he was too busy. But I did tell him you know, the question I'm going to ask is. Why do you think you're on my favorite player's list? I.e., why do coaches love you so much? And there's a lot of coaches mm. that do. And he laughed. And I think he certainly – it's just like the, the, the way he goes about his business. It's just, it's just tough – and it's aggressive and it's strong. And um, I, I, when you have players like that, you always—that's the kind of guy you want, especially in the playoffs when you're going to war. He's the guy that you want behind uh, at your back. So uh, really, uh, he, he's been instrumental. I kind of like dip my toe in the water about asking. It would be crazy to to tell Doc to start him uh, instead of Jamichael Green, and people kind of freaked out on me because you know what, Jamichael Green's been doing pretty well, and his he numbers was are really great good. in Game Six, yeah. Or five. So. Um, five, six. Game six. No. Game five. Game five. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, w- w- what made him great? I mean, I thought he was, he was good, but what made him great?
0: Okay, well, Lou Williamson it was great. He was really good for his role. So. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think he hit a couple of threes. He, you know, he spaced to the floor well for that. He played some defense. He fouled out, but um, he was you know trying to deny Kevin Durant. And and that's interesting what they're doing there on defense. They're not doing the out and out complete sag off of Draymond, but they're doing the ignore Draymond enough and putting Patrick Beverly on him. So that was the breakdown today that actually went really did really well today. Uh, was showing what Draymond is doing. And you know what's interesting is that the, the Hamptons five off, uh, Hamptons five lineup is a negative seven point seven for the series which is unheard of for that lineup probably in the three uh, how long is it, the three years now in the three years Kevin Durant's been there uh there's never and then in game 5 alone it was negative 30 something it was terrible so um this has got to be a big wake up call and a shock to coach Kerr because uh you know what it is is you have Draymond Green and you have Iguodala together and the, the what their goal is is to get them to shoot the ball as much as they possibly can and they're taking the bait yeah, I
0: guess the sample size now is just big enough for me to care about that net rating for a lineup. You know, usually it's like a single game net rating for a lineup. You're it's a it's a enough of an anomaly potential in there that's so noisy you would not make too much of it. But like through game five, it's been apparent they have Doc has been trying to figure out the best way to sit, uh, sit off of Draymond and doing it with Beverly is just brilliant because he matches up he matches up well across the board for size and then beverly is that roaming guy like beverly can be an effective roamer on defense at and any part of the floor and it allows him to kind of keep his head up and coordinate and you see beverly is yelling out stuff the entire possession i think it's been a big part of why yeah. like why they're why the clippers defense has been so effective in the half court it's just because like their defensive communication like is as good as it possibly could be at this point um but you know, you you were talking about Draymond. We have a question here about whether Draymond looks worse on defense.
1: And, and well, let's give, let's let everyone know who asked that question. Can you read that? Uh, uh, I can't. It's too far from me right now. Oh, right. For me, it's uh, Abu Baker Katib. So uh, he asked that. Uh, who, does Draymond look worse on defense? What's your answer?
0: Nah. Nah, no.
1: Right. He looks good. He looks solid. He, right. He
0: looks good. He he uh, he definitely looks frustrated. And he <laughs> yeah. looks a little over aggressive in that he's upset that they're playing off of him like this. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like he's got to be kind of used to it at this point because he's been getting it throughout the year. Like this isn't this isn't completely brand new. Uh, but he he definitely has been really frustrated and heated in the series, and it does sometimes come out in his defense. And I mean I couldn't believe he didn't get ejected from that game last night. It seemed the way. He, the way he was going at the officials, I figured he was definitely going to. Um, and you're seeing that come out of his defense a little bit. But as far as his reaction timing, as far as his like recognition and stuff like that, still seems pretty great to me. I'm, I, I must be missing something at, at, uh, that this person's seeing.
1: Well, the thing is, is uh, there are a lot of stretches where the Clippers were just lighting them up. They had 60-plus points in the first half of last night's game. Okay. and but, so it, What's weird was because it's some, during some points in the second half, the Warriors' defense was overwhelming, like we've seen in a lot of spurts during the series. But that's a testament to the Clippers, who just keep going, they keep under control, and they get back on track, and then hit a couple shots, and they're right back in it. And then you have Lou Williams, who can simply just score at will. I mean, he was getting layups. Layups and they were forcing switches to get Kevin Durant to guard Lou Williams, which I was like, that's kind of weird to me. Why would they want a guy who was quick and long and much, you know, know, bigger than him who should be able to keep him in front and really bother him? But didn't matter. He was taking Kevin Durant. They did it to Draymond Green where they forced Green on him and they wanted it. Like, that's what they looked like they wanted. So, because remember, you can choose who screens for Lou Williams, and they were choosing Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. So Doc is some weird, evil, mad genius who's like, figure that out. Plus, they throw Patrick Beverly on um, on Draymond, which actually made Montrez Harrell have to guard Clay Thompson in that Hamptons five, and that was fascinating to me too. Clay got a three in the right corner down the stretch because they, they ran him off a screen and they tried switching, and Lou uh, gambled on the pass when he should have just played the position. But um, it's all wacky, and I and I don't blame like Steve. Kerr for looking at this thing, thinking like I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. That's, we haven't never seen this before. Their small ball five is playing my two guard. <laughs> their their two guards guarding my power forward, no, my center. Sorry. So it's a it's a wacky game, and it's getting all kind of screwy. And uh, I, I guess you have to you have to argue that Doc Rivers is winning the coaching battle now. And um, you know, I, I just don't know. It, Coach Kerr like threw out a lineup there that had McKinney, um, uh, Bogut. Uh, Livingston, Iguodala and clay. And it was a terrible lineup. Again, I know it's small sample size for that, but like, it just doesn't work and it wouldn't work conceptually. And he gave them five or six minutes in the, to start the second quarter. And uh, that was a kind of a big moment.
0: You know, it's funny. I felt like if I remember correctly, didn't Montrez have a great defensive possession on clay in the fourth quarter? I feel like there was one where he really shut him down and that like stuck – that really like stuck out to me.
1: OK. Jeez. Um, now I can't remember but uh, – because I went – I did go through. It doesn't sound – it's not coming to my mind but OK. Um, so – but either way, it's just a really interesting the, way. Yeah?
0: You know what it is? I'm thinking of it's when he picked up Durant from the left elbow and like – and was able to stay in front of Durant into the pain. Then Durant dumped it off to Looney and he just kept going and he rejected Looney. That's what I was thinking
1: OK, of. right. Uh, yeah. And there might have been another one, too, where uh, Iguodala gets a—oh, uh, I know. He gets beat by Durant from the right wing into the middle, and he kind of recovers. They dump it off to, I think, Iguodala, who was open, and he comes out of nowhere and contests the shot into a miss, at point-blank range, and they get the rebound. Another one of those big plays. So, again, can we say enough good things about Montrez Harrell because— this is the guy who's uh, who's just making plays and I they're lucky to have him. And it's it's crazy that he didn't he couldn't fit in on Houston before this. I mean, imagine Houston having him. They they'd kill to have him now.
0: I don't really understand why like all these guys weren't working to like perfection in Houston the way they are with uh I mean, I, I think I guess a big Ooh. part of it with Harold it was just all the Houston like the three Ooh. guys are at the podium last night. Um but I think a big part of it with Harold is just that he's got a few years into his career now and has kind of figured it out and he's just become so confident and aggressive on offense I mean he wasn't he was a very it was it seemed like kind of a relatively limited offensive player up until a year and a half ago Right, I feel like second half um, of the last season is when he started to get there. But he was mostly like a heart. He was kind of like a Kenneth Fareed type of player up until that point. I felt like.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, and he kind of still is. I mean, he, I think he might have hit. Um, he can hit like the fifteen footer face up now, so he can do that a little bit. Um, I, I I'm trying to picture if I could see him like driving to the basket from the perimeter. I don't know if he does that too much. So he really doesn't do. You know, a, a, I guess post up wise, he can do that really well now, and that might be the one of the things that he didn't quite have confidence in earlier.
0: He he can put the ball on the floor from from the elbow, and he's he seems to have a pretty good ball handling ability. He can do a little crossover. You can feel like kind of like a poor man's play Griffin vibe going from him, where he's like handling more like a wing, like he doesn't look like a big who's kind of like plodding with like long arm dribbles. Like he's got like a kind of a tight control and can kind of attack going straight at the hoop. Uh, That's I think it's part of what makes him so good as a rim runner is just that he can kind of really face at the hoop and attack like he's a like he's a wing type player.
1: For sure. Well, you know, listen, do we want to talk a little bit about the um, the Easter conference real real quick uh, off the top of your head preview? What's going on there? Sure.
0: Well, you know, what? we have a quick question here from uh, C Toma 24. How good is Jokic? Good. Uh, Who's going to have to step up in game seven for Denver?
1: Where do you see that question? I guess I'm frozen. Uh, it's just coming. Okay. Um, uh, all right. So how good is Jokic? Jokic is great. Jokic would be a, will be a Hall of Famer if he keeps this up for the next 10, 12 years, right? Probably next, like, five years. Okay. So that's <laughs> yeah. under control. What was the yeah, second part right, of that yeah. question?
0: Uh, who needs to step up in Game 7. So ah. let's, take, let's take a look at tonight's uh, box score and figure yeah. out who had the worst shooting performance because
1: there's a lot of them from Denver. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean – I mean Jamal. Okay, Jamal Murray. Right. Yeah. I think he's the X factor, and he always is. To me, it was funny because there there was a stretch in the very beginning of the game where he didn't look like he was connected to the game. He looked a little bit off, and I tweeted that out. People are like, you know, but then again, he he hit like three or four shots in a row or whatever, and he looked all of a sudden much better. And then he kind of went back down again. I think that's what Jamal Murray is. He's just always up and down, up and down. The dude's only like—is he twenty-two? I think he's twenty-three now. Is he okay? So, uh, you know, but certainly that's the guy. Now, Gary Harris ended up at 5 for 8, and I feel like he got marginalized down the stretch. I don't, I don't even remember him, like, being out there. So he's yeah. a guy that should be taking more shots as well. He shot, I mean, that's, he shot really well. He looked really good. But uh, he's also a guy who can just sort of disappear because he's not going to handle the ball a lot and dominate the usage. So that's on Jamal Murray to try and find that. He, Jamal Murray shouldn't be taking 19 shots. I think that's another thing. And also, I
0: remember Jamal Murray's birthday was recently. It was to turn 22, so my bad. 22, 22. okay. Only so, uh, 22. Yeah, and
1: maybe he celebrated a little with, bit too much for his birthday, and that's why he was off today. You know
0: what? Same thing with people that were criticizing Donovan Mitchell heavily after the Jazz lost. These guys are 22. They're going to be really good. Right. They give them time to figure it out. Okay. Same thing with D'Lo. I mean, like all these guys are really young. They're going to figure it out. They'll be a, they'll be great players soon. Yeah. Um, and then Harris – the entire season has been fading in and out. It's been really weird. He's taken offense. He's taken just like a big step back. It seems from where he was last year and he's been relatively healthy. It seems like most of the year people I've talked to in Denver. they n- haven't really gotten kind of like a straight answer of like what is really going on. So that's been a really weird one. But yeah, I mean, if they're going to, they're going to make it through the first round, they need him to have a big game. At least he was efficient tonight, but you know, we talked about it before the bench was five for 24. Bench Bench shoots eight for twenty-four, even a couple more shots there. Mm-hmm. And they could be winning this game. And it's like, you know, that that's obviously a huge part of it. Just they need Bonnie Morris to, you know, make smart plays, still be aggressive and make smart plays. Um, and I think they should be okay. But they're they're the favorite. They're clearly the favorite for this game seven. They're at home. They had a I mean, they shot 46% from the field tonight. So it wasn't like they shot terribly, it's just that the Spurs shot, I want to say fifty-five percent. 57%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So and the Spurs shot 57% from the field.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now I think on the Spurs side, Derek White, in my, you know, top of my favorite players list played really well, very solid. And they're going to need that kind of game from him as well in a game seven on the road. So, um, you know, cause, cause I think it's pretty clear, you know, it's going to be rough. Like the refs like to hold their whistles and let, let the players aside, which got to be really frustrating as a coach in that setting. But, um, so, you know, Aldridge probably is going to, get his, he's going to get his stuff down low. I would imagine oh, you know who the X Factor then is? is Jamar DeRozan because here's his chance finally to put to bed a lot of the crap that they've heard about all over in Toronto all these years and he's kind of put all those ghosts to bed. I think the way he's played in the series has been, you know, as well as he needs to play to get them where they are but this is it. This is his chance to finally make that mark and um, I think he actually is going to be the X Factor if he plays well, I feel like the Spurs should win and if he doesn't, then it's Denver going on. And just one more X factor on the San Antonio side. Yeah.
0: This is, this is the night that Bryn Forbes goes off. This is, I want to see four for six from the uh, three point line. Bryn Forbes, he's going to be the sniper for them. Hit mm-hmm. some clutch threes. DeMar DeRozan's going to get doubled. And now that he's a mature DeMar DeRozan, he's going to kick it out. The Forbes <laughs> at the top of the key, and he's going to bury that shot. All right. Um, So, you know, because you mentioned, because you mentioned Derek white, can you quickly give me, let's say your list of like, Five guys that are like the upstart guys emerging in the playoffs that you like are your your players that you love that have been your favorite players. I feel like our list is probably going to be oh, just about exactly the same.
1: OK, well, I got to look at the I got to look at the teams now because I'm blanking. Besides that, I, you know, everyone yeah. always asks me like Fred Van Vliet's a guy, but he hasn't been playing that great um, on my list normally. So you you go. Maybe it'll spur. My well, so like things.
0: White has been just spectacular this year and especially in the playoffs. Harrell has been a okay, remarkable absolutely. revelation. Um, Siakam, I mean, like Siakam's obviously become like a household name, it seems, but like he's really showing in the playoffs so far. Yeah. Um, trying to think of another good answer. Okay, I let's see, on
1: Philly, um, uh, Toronto, uh, let's see here, anybody on, yeah, I mean, you know, the, t- the usuals, um, you know, uh, Boston, I'm, I'm, I'm selling on Boston. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not high on That's them right high. now. And then I'm and then Milwaukee. Um, gosh, you know, uh, no one's really, yeah, it's interesting, but that, those are the good names right there that really grabbed me, you know, Damian Lillard, just, uh, what he did. <laughs> He's uh, been good. Um, you know, out completely outplayed Russ. And uh, you know, I think I think he, that that sort of says that he's better than Russ um, at this point, and yeah. until next right. year, I suppose, and then we'll have to figure that out again. But um, but you know, it, it's a huge advantage when your point guard can shoot from distance. Uh, it really is. Now, I'm not going to say you can't get it done if you don't, but it's just a. It's I mean, look what we saw. The Portland wins that series basically because he stretches the floor as much as he does versus Russ, who does not stretch the floor at all.
0: For sure. And just another guy that I wanted on the list was Royce O'Neal. I really, oh. I really love what he did uh, in the playoffs. I mean, he was he he's a little overmatched in his role, um, but for what he for what he is, I think he's been kind of making the most of his opportunities. So I, I just I, I feel like every year Utah adds like a new guy to the rotation That's someone who you love as an overachiever, and he mm-hmm. was that guy for me this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm actually quickly checking because I felt I, I really like his game too, and I felt like you know you know what, it's a good building block for him, even though he's 25, so he's, he's a he's a old second year player. Uh, but 10.6 points per game, he shot 47% and then 35% from three. So that's, that's a good building block, even though, he's, you know, if, if he was 21, I'd really feel good about that. And sure. the, the fact that he's 25, whatever, uh, and I'm really having a problem with Utah's team as it is. Um, and, you know, they've hit their ceiling. And I feel like if that's the case after enough years, then it's time to kind of like tear the whole thing down. Uh we saw Toronto do that a little bit at least with DeMar DeRozan and um and I think they should do that and you know what I would start with Rudy I honestly would
0: i was going to say it if you weren't um really? I mean I
1: it's it's kind of a uh, sacrilege but uh, around you know Twitter parts but well you know what it's
0: I I think we need a little bit of uh breathing space from this playoffs to figure out can can players like Rudy Gobert be your second best player on your team in the playoffs and right now it seems like it's a no but you know what you could kind of argue clink capella has been the second best player on the rockets so and he's a very very similar player and one of the commenters here hates utah and the warriors rule so good to <laughs> know also All right. um, but All so right. yeah so like may, maybe they need to change their approach i'm trying to i mean quinn's offensive designs are great i think quinn quinn kind of maximizes that team he's a he's an amazing coach he's one of the Probably one of the five best coaches in the NBA. So I don't know if there's much more that they can really do. I mean, Rudy can do more. He could become a post score. That would certainly help a lot. Yeah. He isn't really, he's, he, I mean, if he has a mouse in the house, he can do something with it. But otherwise, right, he doesn't do that and much. It,
1: and he doesn't have great hands. And like, apparently, that's a real trigger point for a lot of Jazz fans. Uh, and and <laughs> I guess what they need me to say is that they've gotten better. Okay. They've gotten a little bit better. But I I saw a couple plays in the last game where like it hits off it just hits off his hands he cannot catch uh, very well he's awkward he's really long-limbed and it just it just is probably by nature of his body the way it moves he's just never going to be rhythmic and smooth but um, as a result I think that he's kind of the guy oh and by the way I'll just light him up Uh, sorry Rudy but like for a rim protector there were way too many times guys who get to the rim and score over him and around him uh, and that was really yeah. frustrating to me. Uh, either he wouldn't quite get there and really be aggressive, guys would just kind of clear him out and grab rebounds in front of him. It was just like you can't do that in the playoffs. And I feel like he sort of you know makes his eats his lunch in, in the regular season, and then the playoffs come and he just he doesn't up his game. And uh, as a result, I think if they this is his, this is the 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 highest value he's ever going to have. And so if you're going to move him, it's got to be now.
0: And you also don't really see any ways in which his game is going to get better, except for obviously just like. Performing better defensively even more, um, and we have two comments here related to this. The first one is the comment just says "Is Rudy," which I'm assuming is in response to us asking who do they need to get rid of. Okay, I'm gonna imagine I'm imagining that in a French accent, "Is Rudy," uh, and then the <laughs> second one is they need to upgrade favors. It's uh it's an assumption that favors is not going to be back next year. So
1: okay, so is he a free guess, agent? Yes, they
0: will try to. Um, God damn it! I have to yeah, right. up. What's wrong with me?
1: No worries. I, well, I have a question. He is from, I'm pretty sure I have a question from Adam UCDMBB on Twitter. Wait, we can ask while we're checking that real quick. Which would be uh, who would you put on KD if you were Doc? Uh, going back to that series because um, you know what he did was he took um, Beverly off of him to put him on Draymond Green and that has to Michael to Michael Green on KD for the most part. Um, you know it, it worked in that game. I mean KD was 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 going off on the other games before the two games before that thirty thirty plus on each game. So um, you can't you know and the, and the Patrick Beverly experiment kind of is over. Like he just shot over him and didn't have any problems. So uh, I have to go to Michael Green for sure to start out on him. And um, you know, Montres Harrell could probably does it. I got to check who else did pick him up. Uh, do you? What about you? In your mind's eye, can you picture that?
0: Yeah, I mean, Harrell's the guy that I'm thinking right now. Um, I I don't think that the Pat Beverly experience should be over. I disagree with that. I think oh. you can. I I think you should. You know, you should mix it up throughout the game. Um, okay.
1: And, and, so, and you're right. I'm sure he'll match up on him at some point at switch or whatever. So he'll have to do it. And man, the an agitator. Like, uh, he was in Ke- uh, Kevin Durant's head. Uh, and, and certainly when they got ejected in game two or game one. Yeah. Um, but you can see and, that, you know, Durant is, he's thinking about him. It's in his mind.
0: And, you know, Danilo is going to guard him a decent amount too. And that's, I think that's, that was probably the second most frequent. It right. felt like. It felt like Joe Michael Green guarded him for probably about, like, 40 possessions, and uh Danilo had him for about 20 possessions. And I don't know if we were talking about this or I was talking to someone else about this. Danilo has gotten huge. That dude looks like he's, like, 6'10", pretty big, like, frame. Like, he's gotten really big. So, physically, he matches up fairly well, at least size, dimensions-wise, to KD, but his reaction speed on defense isn't, you know, really good enough to handle KD the way that Green is. So right. I still think Green is their best matchup.
1: For sure. For sure. Well, um any other last comments we want to make on this before we wrap up?
0: We got Yeah, we still got a lot here if you want to keep rolling with it. Um, uh,
1: you know, my my comments are not refreshing, so I can't see them for some okay. reason. Okay. So all right.
0: Um, I'm going to try it on my some, phone. Let's see. At Plains with two underscores, not just one, but two underscores, wants to know from you. They don't give a crap about me, but they want to know from Coach Nick That's right. uh, whether the Nuggets will win Game 7. And oh, okay. I feel like we kind of waffled on that one. Uh, I said well,
1: yes. Well, here's the thing about that is, you know, up until a few years ago, the home team, it's like it was guaranteed almost that a Game 7 home team would win. It doesn't feel that way anymore, and I, that could be anecdotal to me, but I kind of feel like that's what the numbers are, t- are saying to us now. So, um, and Especially, and it could be at the rise of the three-point shot, either as the home team can get cold or the, or the visiting team can get hot. Hundred
0: um, percent correct. Yeah, variance so, has, variance has gone up so much. Luck okay. has gone up so
1: much. Great. So so my good. you know so my uh, my anecdotal evidence actually is confirmed. I hope uh, if, if you're basing it on facts. So um, so <laughs> that's the real facts. question. But okay, so who's gonna win that you know that game? I mean, man. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, like, get a feeling for It's a, it's for a it.
0: prediction. It doesn't actually mean anything. So you could say whatever you want. It doesn't matter.
1: Right. Well, you know, it's like I, I don't even know if I have a feel for it because this has been a weird series to me. Uh, I, I will say, though, I guess, here's what I guess. When we see the Spurs play like they play tonight and then I'm starting to think, well, man, they, they should be able to get easily to the conference finals. I don't know if I've seen the exact same force from Denver as much so i guess i'm gonna i like to go with uh with the, with the spurs let's go with them
0: what do you think i think it i you know what i think this game will be determined by three-point shooting it, uh it'll be luck based for the most part uh i mean what what you love about game seven is that the teams know what their game plan is and they know what each other's game plan is at that point point. and so i think it usually defense is so much better in game sevens which is what is what we love about game sevens is like the offenses feel like they're operating in like, in like mud. And so they have to, they have to like really, really, I think it's like the, the possessions will get whittled down more. You're going to get later into the shot clock. There's going to be a lot more deep shooting. Uh, there's going to be like, it's going to be uh, probably more ISO play as well too, which probably falls into San Antonio's hands just because they have the two best ISO scores in the series. Um, so I mean, I'm going with Denver just because I think like Denver has the most talent, has the best player in the series who can control, who can completely control the game and they're going to be at home. So they have that little bit of an edge there.
1: Well, wow. all right. You know what? I'll, then fine. You'll take Denver. I'll take San Antonio, and we'll, we'll cool. come back here and decide uh, who was right. Um, and you know, I guess my comments won't even come up on my phone, and will come up in my browser. So it must be something. In oh, the, I got it. We got. We got it must plenty be the, more here. All right. It Must be the metal in my head. Well, I, I, I want to be in touch with my people. I can't believe I can't see. But Jared, you know, yeah, grab a few more. What do they? What else we have? And make sure okay. if you can, to uh, re- shout them out. Who, uh, who at
0: Jay ninety five? What can you even get for Rudy Gobert? Gobert at this point. I see Rudy Gobert, not Rudy uh, Gay. I feel he is his play style is just in the wrong era, and is that it? That's oh, and then at uh, climbing with ones instead of eyes, very nice. I like that. Could Rudy benefit from some Hakeem
1: summer camp? Oh, jeez. You know, I'm I'm a little bit dubious, honestly, about Hakeem and what he knows how to teach. Because you know, Kobe might be the only guy like that. I guess LeBron worked with him, but LeBron's post game is not is kind of stagnated too. So um I don't know. I've
0: I've heard stories about Kobe's lessons and they're valuable for some people. They're, they're valuable, but they're not gonna completely change you unless it's the impact okay. of meeting Kobe and Oh, but and, no, okay. So Kobe.
1: so Kobe might work in, but I was thinking that Kobe worked with Akeem. Um and he might be the only guy that really like showed like great oh, footwork and post moves uh Sorry. Sure. if he went with Akeem. Uh I think it, yeah. Embiid's
0: game got a lot better after working with Akeem. I think his footwork and oh did Embiid of, work with him? Yeah, I think so, right? All right.
1: Well, don't let Drew hear you say uh, – give Hakeem <laughs> all that <laughs> I think it was.
0: I think it might have been before Drew was working with him. Oh, okay, fair enough. I could be – but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure right. they worked together.
1: All right. Well, listen, um, wait. I gotta. finally got a comment to pop up. Will Derek White be the next top-tier point guard in the NBA? Will he level out after this year from MJT117? Uh, hey, you. that's how you get a question uh, – how you get me to answer a question and ask about Derek White. <laughs> um, you know, he's older too, right? How old is Derek White? Do we know? Um, I will tell you because we have the technology. This is like uh, where are you? are supposed like? to start talking about it while you're yeah. looking it up. He is uh, 24. He be He's still young. Okay, he's 24. Okay. Uh, I think that there is an- a- another level for him to get to. Um, now, the level he's at now is like good starter, right? Like good solid starter. Yes. The problem is, is he's never going to get like the Gaudi numbers in the Spurs system, He's not going to be – I mean, right? I don't see him in the way this team is set up getting 20-some points a game. But I think he can easily get to like – I bet you he can get to 18 points, 7 assists, you know, be like the Tony Parker but like bigger, better athlete, better shooter.
0: And the thing is, so hopefully Murray is going to be back next year. Yeah, I'm not sold
1: on him, Okay, well
0: – even if you're not sold, he's still he's still going to be the. Uh, I assume he's still going to be the starter. I mean, he was right. second team all defense. And by the way, what what do you think Tony Parker averaged uh, during? Let's say I'm going to select the prime scoring or assists for scoring and assists. I'm going to start in his fourth year when he was 22, and yeah. go up until his 30. Age I think you know it's team.
1: probably in the range of like like 19 and seven. Eighteen and six. Yeah,
0: you were pretty much like right on with your with your numbers. Well, exactly 18 and then 6.2. This is
1: not my first rodeo. But um, (laughs) the thing about the Spurs offense is that like no point guard in that offense has ever been, you know, had really big numbers from assists. Primarily because they give the ball up early, and then they become sort of a cog in the machine, and they're like scoring a lot more than that, and they're not going to be dominating and a lot of pick and roll out top and like Russ does. So I think by nature of those, and like same with Steph, like Steph doesn't will never get more than what seven assists a game. Um, you know, KD's.
0: I think KD leads the team in assists. Yeah, he now. does,
1: and in, in a, in, yeah. a different uh, position in the offense because and he's to- yeah.
0: And I think DeRozan led the Spurs in assists this year. Right.
1: Uh, although 6-10. Draymond might have led them in assists too. So Draymond and KD might have had, both had more assists than Steph. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but Steph has had those years where he's, you know, led them, but it's only been seven or eight or, to, or seven something. So sure. I think it's a function of the offense. Like the Atlanta uh, – now Trey Young is actually – wait a minute. He actually averaged uh, nine assists a game for like the second half of the year. So there's a good example, although I could argue that they're not really running the offense that like Budenholzer was running when, after, they, after he left anyway. Um, so it's interesting when you get in a certain kind of offenses. There's a, there's a limit. So yeah, it's not like Tony Parker had the most amazing stats, but man, he was he was a top two point guard in his prime, top three, right? In his prime, in the mid two thousands. I hope people are winning see all those my titles. reaction
0: right now. I'm trying to set my neck off. He's got to he, be he got
1: to be top three, right? Paul you know how fast he Williams,
0: was? Darren Williams. Um...
1: When he was... Yeah, I mean, it's, we're biased because we remember the last four or five years of his, his career, but like... I guess he, No, no, he was great. He won finals MVP. Well, I don't like the finals
0: MVP award too much. But yeah, he was... The thing is, in the regular season, it wasn't until kind of after... It was like towards the latter half of his prime that he really became an elite player and was making all NBA teams. So he was... I think if you played for another franchise, you probably would have put up much bigger numbers. I mean, I I feel that Manu is one of probably the ten best players in my lifetime, and I use the excuse of he was on the Spurs. He would have been averaging twenty five a game if he played for another team. So I have to right, give right. Tony Parker that benefit of the doubt as well. Okay, uh, yeah, Tony was great. He was great.
1: All right. Well, let's get let's ask, answer two more questions that you can see that I can't see in the comments. What okay. give us one?
0: Let's see. This one says, "Why does Coach Nick suck?" No, I'm sorry, I'm misreading hey, that. Hey, hey. Um, Oh, we're well, getting a coming up in one minute thing. That's weird. What does that mean? It's show. It's showing the, um, the B-Ball breakdown backdrop instead of our faces right now in the live stream.
1: It is? Not yeah. My... All right. No. Well, anyway, uh, we're, maybe, we're battling.
0: Maybe Whatever. Um, okay. This is a good one here from also J Stim, uh, Stimson95. Uh, more good questions from this person. Uh, what do you think of the Rockets switching everything defense, pros and cons and let's do that in the context of the warriors or the clippers if you really want to
1: what do i think about the rockets defense
0: and the, just switching everything especially with capella out there up against the hampton let's say let's focus on the pros and cons of the switching defense with capella against the hamptons five
1: okay um i think he could do okay he really can move and we've seen that uh work well Um, in the past with like mobile centers that can kind of handle a little bit of that because who's going to have to deal with like Steph, you know, um, I, I'm not even sure I'm loving the way Steph is playing the last couple of games either against the, uh, the uh, Clippers, which is a different story because it'll change rapid, uh, uh, significantly. But uh, as, far, so as far as Houston goes, um, no, I think, I think they, they, that's what their system is. It works pretty well. It is able to, to negate a lot of the advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, you will see the um, Warriors get a lot of backdoor cuts. They'll slip those screens and they'll make a lot of those passes and they'll score the basket easy. But they might trade twos for threes you know, on the other end, and that might work out okay for Houston, um, and then have Capella be back there just enough to swat a, sh- a couple shots away and, and hang on. So it, it's not a perfect solution against the Warriors' offense, because, you, again, you're going to see layups, you're going to see slip screens, um, but it, it, so it's going to be a tenuous thing. And it, it is for everybody playing the Warriors, right? Like no, one, no one's going to be favored to play the Warriors. But, um, but I, I think it, you know, it probably gives them their best chance.
0: I think there's a couple big things for Houston to do. One, mix up switching versus not switching. They okay. got to I think you want to con- you, you want to be constantly mixing that up so that the warriors can't really get a feel for where it's going because you know kd most of the time when he's going through a screen he's trying to get a feel for how's the defense going to play him when is he going to feel contact and then you know knowing is he going to go to his like kind of like hard stop elbow jumper or is he going to do the step back at the top of the key that kind of thing mm-hmm. so the more you mix it up the less predictable it becomes and then you can start creating some confusion on their end and then do you want harden on the weak side to be dealing with the back door or do you want to put him in the action where at least you can communicate with him and you're not worried about him falling asleep i assume they're going to probably target harden so you're not going to be able to make that decision if you're mike Tony, but i'm more nervous about harden falling asleep on the backside with clay lurking out there than i am about harden getting churned through uh, switches and stuff like that
1: yeah, no, that's a great point too, and they're gonna they're gonna do their best to try and attack him, and they should be able to get that uh, for sure. Uh, now, on, on the flip side, what we're not gonna see is uh, anybody playing behind Harden like they're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know.
0: I see top locking. That was uh, that was just like out of the zone.
1: Block. Right, top great. locking with the, with the ball. Uh, so we're not gonna see that. And uh, and by the way, you know, the, the argument the Jazz have was that his numbers were down. Um and that's true and I remember it saying you know the, the only way I guess I would judge if it works is what the win and loss was I hate to put it in those terms but um because again the argument was it was the offense that the uh, was so bad for the Jazz but um, I don't know uh, I, either way when you have Iguodala and you have Kevin Durant and you have Clay Thompson and Sean Livingston uh, they got plenty of guys to throw at him to play him normally um, yeah. I, I think that's what they're going to end up doing and then Draymond Green lurking. Uh, it's, they're just, they're just too good defensively to have to resort to that. Um, although I, you know, we'll see, I, you know, you know, Steve Kerr is, is looking out of the side of his eye and wondering, you know, to, what, what to do about that. I, they're never going to get behind him, but you never know if they want to play on the side. The one problem I had though, was they were playing on the left side of him and that let him step back to the right. And I, I, I figured they should have at least tried going the other side and make him go to his left because if he steps back, it's a much harder way to shoot that. It sounds weird, but, um, I would have liked to have seen that too. At least mix it up and then you know keep him on his toes. But that is that is his shot, though, right? What going to his right? Is I where think he likes, I to go I thought he likes
0: to step back to his left. Well, no, no, uh, you're right because he has his left hand forward. He has his left yeah. foot forward. So you're right. I mean, huh. no, he he does you're it
1: right. he does it both ways, but it's just harder because you, you have to rotate more and it's it's just across your body. You know, it's uh, you know, to get it to the, align with the rim. But um, which is another reason why, like in isolations at the end of the game. Now, and by the way, that's sort of what Paul George did. You know, the argument yeah. is force the guy to his strong hand because most likely he's going to pull up and not try and get in the lane and risk, you know, a referee not calling a foul. So don't let him go left where he can then pull up and it's really uh, much, much more natural in alignment there. Uh, didn't matter with <laughs> Damian Lillard, though, who uh, rose up to his right anyway and, uh, and nailed that shot. And, I, and again, did we, even, did we talk about Paul George's comment about how it was a bad shot?
0: I don't know, but, I mean, we can do that quickly. We do have some really good questions right, here still, hit, hit the questions so we're moment, gonna yeah. going to no, keep going. but Let's quickly do a tangent, then we'll, we'll circle back. Um, I The full context of the question was him saying, like, he did a great job, but that's a bad shot. I feel like people were cutting off the beginning, just like they were cutting off the beginning of the Russ quote from today's exit meetings oh. where he said that, like, he has a good relationship with Billy Donovan. They cut out the part where he said, said he has a good relationship so that it looks like the stuff after that is worse than it really is. Oh. So I felt like George's – by clipping George's comments, it made it look a little bit worse than it really is. And he had just – like the, the the question before that, he had like heavily praised Dame for the shot that he made. Um, but he still was – it didn't – it wasn't like completely distorting the context. He was still saying too much, it's a bad shot. Um, which is true. It's like there is nothing you want more than a guy to take a half court shot. So I thought Paul (laughs) George defended. I thought Paul George did exactly what you're supposed to do. He didn't, he didn't try to foul, which you know, the Blazers had just drawn a foul, I think, a couple positions before that on the jumper, if I'm not mistaken. Or I'm thinking of Lou Williams last night. I haven't slept in a few weeks, so it's it's all starting to mush together now. I I think I'm thinking of when Lou will got the four point play. Um, But like he did, he didn't want to commit a foul on Dame, who Dame is great at drawing deep fouls, and like he was positioned thirty feet out from the basket. It's like who gives a shit about your angling or your tightness at that point? Thirty feet is that line of you. You don't want him to shoot anywhere inside of that line, no matter how far it is from the three-point line. If he's going to shoot from all the way out there. That's insane, and it's so unlikely to happen that I don't care what the result is. That is the process. Right. The expected shot value is was negative zero on that, which isn't a real number, but that's how low
1: it was. Okay, fair enough. No, well, yeah, I mean, the only thing was he was shooting an ungodly percentage from that distance all series long. So and as the shot clock or as the clock winds down, you know, to four and three, you, you got to close the distance because there's no time to do anything else but shoot it. So that's my thing. I, he said he was about a step short and he didn't go up with the, the left hand contest. He went up with the right hand, which is going to be on the wrong side of yeah. his shot. Uh, and that was the only thing. But again, you just tip your cap. I just feel like it might have is the, the, the response to sort of to sort of, you know, takes away some of the respect that you should have. For the guy, he hit it. He hit the shot. You got to, you got to tip your cap. And instead, he was like, "Oh, it's a bad shot." I don't care what you say, like you know. And and it's that just didn't didn't feel good to me.
0: You know what he should have said instead of the word "bad shot"? He should have said he took the shot that I wanted him to take. Bingo. That's he, what you say. Yes. That's what you say. You're not disrespecting him, but yeah. you're saying that you're saying the same thing without it being disrespectful.
1: Right. All right. Let's grab. Okay. We have a, a good. Wait, are you good wearing a shirt left? that
0: says "Friend of the Pod" right now? What's that? Are you wearing a shirt? This is friend of the pod. Yes,
1: I am. Did you see it? Did That's amazing.
0: It? Friend of the breakdown. Oh man. Friend of the can breakdown. I, have I earned one of those shirts at this point? How uh, many episodes do I need to host before I get a friend of the breakdown
1: sure. shirt? Sure, you you can get one. In fact, and anybody <laughs> can go to Teespring right now and order your own version of this if oh, you like. It's a really okay. comfortable shirt. I love it. I wear it all the time. But um, yeah, I have swag. By the way, you guys should uh, should buy it. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do a photo shoot at some point uh, so people really know what I have. But uh, this is a cool thing. It's got the logo on it below, and then friend of the breakdown. Um, so. Check it out. Um, okay, all right, we're let's gonna get, do we're
0: yeah. gonna do two mini segments here to finish it off. S- segments, go all right, ba- let's do we're it. We're gonna go back to Warriors Rockets, but first, I, I think this is an inter- interesting question. Westbrook's MCL. First, wanted to make the point: never forget when Akeem was going to teach Dwight Howard post moves, which is Dwight Howard's credit. He had some post moves, he just wasn't good with them. Uh, but then his actual question is: who are y'all's second favorite teams? And that's a very. Oh. I think that's an interesting question because. Um, I I assume that you're assuming that I that the Celtics are my favorite team because I cover the team. I mean, I grew up a Celtics fan. At this point, they're if if I still had favorites, they definitely would not be the Celtics because I'm very tired. I I I am uh, I've overdosed on Celtics, especially this year. So, uh, and the team that you cover is never going to really be your favorite team because you kind of develop a professional relationship with that team. So it wouldn't be the Celtics for me. It's been the Sixers for a while because I've been yeah I I have been like. The biggest Joel Embiid stand from the get-go I thought he was going to be you know top five player in the NBA so uh so I was I I was and I was all in on the Sixers trying to break the system and the way they're trying to build it's actually kind of gone sideways from where I thought it was going but I really do love the Sixers and of course Brett Brown is just such he's just so freaking enjoyable if you're a reporter or just a fan of the league um Utah another team obviously just because they you just kind of love the The system that they have, the cast of players that they have, they're kind of like the overachieving team. San Antonio, I guess, is always that proverbial favorite. Uh, But the Clippers are the team that I have just become obsessed with this postseason. This season, they've been so much fun to watch. And this postseason, I don't think I've had as much fun watching a team as I have had watching the Clippers in the series in years. They've been so entertaining, beautiful basketball, high scoring, potent offense that really kind of represents what the rule changes were this year at the points of emphasis to trying to make the game more free flowing. The mix of spacing that they have with you kind of like unique, lengthy guys, but then also having like this amazing, classic pick and roll duo between Lou Williams and Harrell, and then the personality of Doc Rivers. It's like they give you every single thing. You could want out of a basketball team. So right. I'm, I'm obsessed with the Clippers right now.
1: Well, I'm going to go with Portland uh, for that. Almost that same reason, because they're um, the, the way they, they have the most clever offense in the league. I think when they run their uh, opposing actions with Lillard and CJ uh, coming off of screens and balancing that uh, they spread the floor, they utilize the three as well as anybody to, to uh, mitigate any issues they might have talent wise. And they're just been the class of the league. They're they're consistently above where people think they're going to be. They win more games than they, everyone expects. Um, Damon Lillard is a class act, you know. I mean, it's just like it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So, uh, and then CJ is probably nicer than Dame. So you got a a couple of guys who are leading teams. They're doing really well, Uh, and they have a shot. They have a shot too to get to the Western Conference Finals as well. I mean, um, you know, and who knows if ever and when you ever got really, really, really hot, you know, over the course of a four games in a week, then who knows what might happen. So uh, at the very least, I'm I'm much, uh, I'm very intrigued by Portland, especially because they're able to plug guys in and find, um, you know, find their maximum potential. Jake Lehman is a great example of that. Uh, I just wish they didn't have to play uh, Evan Turner at all. But um, he's just like, it's just a buzzkill, man. He's a buzzkill when he gets in there. And he only plays, you know, 10, 12 minutes now. But um, if they could figure out a way to cut that a little bit, I'd be even happier. So any other questions we have in the, uh, in, the in the chat? Yeah, and,
0: and, you know, I'll just quickly say that uh, Portland and Toronto, two teams that are a great example of why you don't want to just blow it up and you want to run it back when you feel like you're getting close to that ceiling because you can still push that ceiling a little bit further. And maybe it stops at the conference finals, but at least you're, you getting to the conference finals and you're running into like the warriors i think you can feel pretty good about your franchise at that point and maybe okay. you have to start over from there eventually but yeah that's been great to see so let's do there's a bunch of other solid questions in here but let's focus on these rockets warriors ones so uh omari bra 16 nice bra uh do you think the rockets starting five should remain as is versus the warriors with gordon starting i'm assuming that means that you would Consider putting house in instead of Gordon. And yeah. then also, what do you think of oh, that too? What do you think of Chris Paul playing the Beverly role of guarding off of Draymond to help?
1: Oh, um, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I haven't even really thought about that because they didn't do that last year at all. Right. They no. kind of matched up normally where they want him on step. Well, if, if that's the case, if you put CP three on Draymond to like Rome, yeah, then, then who I would almost say put Harden on Draymond. But like then who guards Steph if CP3 isn't guarding him? Um, you know. Oh, well, I think the point of
0: the point is that when you're when you're playing let's call it the cop role off of Draymond. Yeah. That the person patrolling has to be super they have to be a they have to be constantly coordinating the defense. Chris Paul is amazing at that, right? He's like one of the yeah. best of our era at that. So, he makes a lot of sense for that role in that you know he's going to be reading the actions, calling out, calling things out. He's right. going to actually race over if there is like a backdoor cut that he uses shut down or whatever it is. Yeah. If you are putting if you are putting Harden in that role, I mean at least Harden's on the nail, so he at least is in the he's at least in the lookout spot that you want him to be, where you can see what's going on. But right. you are not really counting on him to be engaged, and particularly if he's standing on the nail when a play is happening. If there's any dribble penetration, don't you feel like he's just going to watch it as he starts to walk oh, towards wait. the other end and yeah. let the defense play four on five so he can get out in the break?
1: Maybe, but here's the other thing: is I was going to say you you probably want like a, sort of a bigger guy to do that role, but then I'm realizing no, like Patrick Beverly is doing that right now, so um, but he, he plays like really a well. five, honestly. Yeah, right. So it's like CP3 can do that same kind of thing. So yeah, that could be that could work. Um, but again, if that's the case, they put who do they put on? I mean, it's if Gordon does start, then Gordon has to guard. Uh, Steph uh, Harden has to guard Clay. Oh, uh, you know, Capella guards Bogut, and then who, who do we have left? DJ
0: is on
1: Durant. Yeah, is good th- that up. works. That works. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, you know, listen. They're gonna, they, they're probably gonna try a lot of different things, and that could certainly be something that would, that that uh, I'd be intrigued by at the very least. And again, if you're not gonna ignore Draymond, then you're probably uh, doing yourself a disservice. There's no reason to guard him like a normal player anyway, because we've seen time and again that when the Warriors do struggle, it's because of that. So I'm sure that they're staring at this right now. Bizdelic, I'm sure, is, is is looking at that really hard, and and it seems reasonable to me.
0: Okay, so we'll we'll wrap it here with. It's a double question here. How long into the series until we see Steph and Katie ball screens? Which probably no. will be never. We'll see that in Game Seven of the Finals. Probably. Oh, no, they, they
1: run them. They run them a little them bit enough. Yeah. Okay. They do. So
0: there's our answer. But then uh, I forget where the question was. Somebody asked, uh, "Do the Rock are the Rockets better set this year versus oh, last right. year against the Warriors?
1: I don't think so. I think that they're not as good.
0: Right. But also keep in mind: Do you think the Warriors are as good as they were last uh, year?
1: Ah, right. Yeah, Livingston doesn't seem as effective, and neither does Iguodala. And the way they're guarding Draymond now, yeah. So you're right; they're both maybe moved down a little notch. So maybe it's the same than we all had last year. Maybe we'll get the seven game series again. I, I, I'm thinking six Warriors and six.
0: Yeah. Iguodala, I don't know really. I feel like Iguodala is just kind of just saving in the tank for whatever their final series is going to be, whether it's this one or the finals or whatever. But like his defense is still insane. Like his defense at the end of that Clippers game was unbelievable. He almost shut down. Actually, I thought I thought they were going to close it out just because the way he was. Guarding you know, Lou will. Right. The way he's guarding Lou will, he was getting some big steals, um getting the rebounds, making great passes.
1: Right. And uh, by the way, so- and he still gets up off the floor that they lob it to him and he'll dunk it like. So yeah. I feel like physically he doesn't seem any slower or whatever, but there definitely there's something missing I think with the team itself, right? Like that's that's the thing like, you know, they they should win, they will win, they probably will win, I don't know, but there is something that like maybe wouldn't surprise me if they got stung, you know, in the Western conference final for the finals. For some reason, I just don't know why this is, it's gripping me in the back of my brain.
0: I mean, Iggy and Draymond feel like they're offensively the exact same player now where they don't want to shoot. And when they put the ball on the floor, they're not looking to score. They're looking to pass and they're both great passers, but that's all that they're really doing on offense right now. And if you have two of those guys on the floor, obviously you're surrounding them with the three best shooters in the NBA. So it's like, it works, but it's, it's hard if if Harden if Harden House uh, House hey House is going off too that helps too but yeah. if Harden Paul and Gordon are all going off Houston has the advantage offensively
1: okay yeah well, we'll which is remarkable
0: because Warriors are the best offense in the game but yeah they
1: do right uh, I mean yes that okay I mean you know yeah if this team is really really hot they have the advantage okay I mean that's that's yeah. a fair statement that's how um, it works in most series but yeah I guess, but I think. You can
0: only make that as a legitimate point against the Warriors because the Warriors are that good.
1: Cool. All right. Well, listen – Awesome stuff. I think it's time we've done this. You know, it's our longest show we've done in a long time. So, it's um, like
0: an hour and a half so far, Jeez.
1: Yeah, I'm only counting when we had to redo it and go back on our stream. But anyway, oh, yeah, it's too, over yeah. an hour at this point. So thank you guys for all joining us. Awesome questions. Uh, we will do this again, right, Jerry? We're going to have more games that maybe don't, that aren't so late that we can have sure. this without it being completely late in the East Coast. Um, so stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll make sure to keep uh, our technical difficulties to a minimum next time. And I guess we'll post this as a pod tomorrow, right? What do you say?
0: Yeah, and just quick note here, uh, Celtic legend John Havlicek passed away just yeah. before we went on the air, so uh, I met him once, wonderful guy, incredibly nice guy. His legacy is, obviously, he's one of the all-time greats, one of the great champions and winners ever, so... And the original six man, right? Or yeah. not the original, but like the, yeah, he the, made, icon, the original iconic six man, I guess. So, right. No, um, he
1: made it like a thing without yeah. question. So yeah, he's a yeah. really terrific player. In fact, I, I was watching at some point a few years ago, uh, the Celtics sun 75 finals, maybe whatever that was. And I was like, nobody played that position better than him. I mean, like he he was better than Bird at that in in that series. And so, uh, just a you know, a guy. I'm gonna have to do a video on him to honor him because I feel like people have forgotten. Uh, short of Havlicek sold the ball, that's all they might know. Um, and he played in, in the in the early '60s through the '70s, and has a whole career people don't know about.
0: Yeah, and if, if for people that haven't seen him play go back and watch what was considered the greatest game ever. It was the triple overtime game six in the NBA finals between the Celtics and the Suns. I I think the whole game is on YouTube. Uh, Paul Westfall, I think, was the high scorer for Phoenix. It was another great... You know, great swing man. Back when they call, back when they were swing men, like that's what right. they called yeah, them back right. then. Uh, but that those teams were really spectacular. Dave Cowens, one of my favorite players growing up, was my dad's probably my dad's favorite player. I think so. My For dad sure. would always tell me about Dave Cowens growing up, and those guys were really, really remarkable. You know, great hustling team, great passing team. Um, you know, kind of established some of the fundamentals that made offense what it is in the future.
1: For sure. All right, well, listen, Jared, thanks for joining me tonight. Everyone else out there, thanks for being part of the conversation. Awesome stuff. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in playoff mode.